God's Little Brown Church Sermon Series featuring Pastor Andrew Chrysler. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord hath said unto me. Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with the rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and ye perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Psalm 2 is an amazing psalm. When I was here a number, uh, I think a couple of years ago, I started actually preaching uh, from Psalms, uh, Psalm 1. Between then and now, I've preached a couple different messages out of different parts of the Bible. Uh, one of them was Psalm 23, but another was John. And uh, I think I'm going to be sticking with Psalms, and now I'm moving to Psalm 2 um, after I had preached Psalm 1 already here. Um, and the reason uh, that I am preaching Psalms, first of all, God has put it on my heart to start memorizing it, as, as you noticed. Um, and so it's easier for me and it's good for me to kind of delve into what I'm memorizing. Uh, I don't know if any of you have memorized uh, a lot of Scripture, but if you have, you'll realize sometimes the words can still be surface. And then when you start digging in, you're like, oh, that's what that means. And as, you know, I recite it back and forth to myself every day, I, I, I sometimes bear, unbury new things that I had already memorized weeks or months ago. Uh, and it's amazing how the Word of God continues to kind of water your soul and your heart, even after you think you have gotten it. Uh, one of the things that is amazing about Psalms is it was written by a handful of people, mostly David, uh, but... He's responsible for 73 of them. Um, but as he was writing them, I don't think that he understood the full potential of what he was writing. I think when God had put it on people's heart to write, he gave them the words and it meant something to them. It meant something deep and it meant something enduring and it meant something holy and, and they understood it in part. But obviously, David couldn't see the end from the beginning. He didn't know Jesus was coming. He knew there was a Messiah coming. He had been promised that his heir would be king forever. So he knew something was probably up ahead in the distance somewhere, as Abraham was promised a similar thing. He was told, your descendants will be as the stars of heaven. And he had one son that God said, this is your son of promise. He never saw... Uh, what had happened, he never saw his, uh, the 12 tribes of Israel in his lifetime. He didn't see what God was planning ahead, but he was faithful and he plotted ahead. And it's one of those things where God promises us something. We don't know what's ahead, like the song said, right? You haven't seen it yet. 
You haven't seen it yet. It's not here yet. But God made a promise, and God never lacks on his promises. He never is. I want to pray real quick before we delve into the book of Psalms um, and ask for God's guidance in it. Lord, I uh, praise you for a book like this. I thank you, Lord, that you have taken the time <laughs> and and given us such an amazing song book, a hymn book, a, a book of praise, Father God, that uh, encapsulates your whole word. And we just praise you, Lord, for everything you've done. And Lord, I pray for your uh, leading today as I speak. I thank you, Lord, for uh, putting me here and, and giving me uh, uh, words to speak to your faithful father it's always good to be in the house of the lord and i thank you lord for inviting me here this morning in your precious name amen it's humbling to stand up here and speak of something so grand and i often find that when i'm done speaking i haven't covered everything and if i were to cover everything we'd probably be here for a couple of weeks or months or years uh even just from one verse i could probably you know there's so much packed in and so we have to be satisfied to an extent of what god gives us at that moment and so uh i won't be taking months or years i won't be even taking hours um chisel out a little bit of time here to kind of delve into the Word of God a little bit. First, I want to talk a little bit about Psalms. Psalm was originally uh, called, in the Hebrew, Mizmer. Uh, it's derived from the verb Zamar, uh, which means to make music or sing praise. Uh, the, the Hebrews refer to Psalms as the tele. Te-elim. Te-elim. I think I'm pronouncing it right. Te-elim. Anytime you hear im at the end of a Hebrew word, uh, it's because it's plural, like Elohim. Most of you know that that's plural for God, um, and that is used quite a bit when referring to God because God is three persons. And so that was recognized even back in the Old Testament times. He was referred to as Elohim. This is Telehim or Tehillah, praises or hymns. Uh, and it's encouraging when we look into the Psalms. I love the first two songs that uh, you opened with because that kind of encapsulates Psalms. Uh, Psalm, most of the Psalms are dirges almost, or they are, uh, what are they called? They're called, um, it speaks to the darker part of our hearts sometimes. Because that's where we're at. The light of God is amazing and it lights us, but we're still trapped in this fleshly body. We're still encapsulated with worries that happen in our lives, day-to-day basis, the drama that plays out in our lives. God is interested in it and God is invested in it. Uh, and in a way, we can feel trapped sometimes. We feel trapped uh, because... We have nowhere, we have nowhere we can really go besides where our bodies, you know, the limit of our bodies can take us. And obviously God still instills us with blessing and, and, and all these good things. But it's easy to get caught up in the day to day. We live in a world that is corrupt. We live in a world that is ultimately evil and dying. Uh, Adam and Eve obviously started the, the process and we're finishing it. Right? And it keeps going and going. 
And the amazing thing about the book of Psalms is that it starts off dirge-like. Uh, Psalms is made up of 150 uh, different psalms. And it's split into five books. The first book is uh, 1 to 41. It's considered its own book. Oh, I got a little bug here. It's considered a ladybug. He kind of came over to hang out with me. Are they all over the place? It's good. Found a warm place to be. Uh, so, yeah, they're, uh, uh, 1 through 41 is the first book. And that... Hold on, here we go. Uh, and, and the majority of those psalms kind of iterate that God is beside us. We go through... The hard parts of life we go through, God is right there next to us. He's always with us. Uh, and then the second book is 42 to 72. That is, uh, and those, those are uh, brought out as God goes before us. right? And then the third book is 73 to 89. And God is all around us. And uh, the fourth book, 90 to 106, God is above us. And then finally, uh, from 107 to 150, God is among us. God is among us. And if you look at the whole of Scripture, one of the things I did once is I studied the movement of God. I studied the movement of His Spirit and where it went through the Old Testament and then eventually to the New Testament. And it always seemed like God was trying to get closer to us every single time. He started with Adam and Eve, and obviously things were great for a chapter, right? They were great for maybe two chapters, two and a half, three. Uh, and in the third chapter, they blew it. And God is walking in the cool of the day. And He says, Adam, where are you? And it kind of lends you to believe that Adam and him had kind of a hangout time. That God was coming on His usual scheduled you know, visit to hang out with Adam and uh, Eve. And they had a uh, one-on-one time. And we find that hard to believe because we can't comprehend just hanging out with God. Adam was a perfect creature. He was able to see probably all more spectrums of color than we're able to speak or see. And, we're, and he was probably able to hear uh, more variety of sounds than we're able to hear, even at our youngest days. I don't know if any of you have heard about the, the tone that children can hear. Have you ever heard of the tone that children can hear? It's amazing. Go on YouTube and look up the tone that only children can hear, and you play it, and you probably won't be able to hear it. But if there's any kids in your vicinity, be like, what is that? It's this high-pitched sound, and they can hear it, but we can't. And a lot of times kids use that as their phone ring, so the parents don't know that they're getting phone calls. Just be uh, weary of that. But as we grow older, obviously, we get older. And death actually starts to take hold of us, and things start to fall apart, and things fall off, and hearing goes, and sight goes, and eventually, you know, we're, we're just kind of, we're not able to move as well as we used to move. And that's the process of life that we have now in a fallen world. It wasn't always like that. So when Adam and Eve sinned, obviously God said, all right, got to make some plans here. 
So he got Moses, and he introduced Moses. Uh, eventually, everybody kind of went their way, and they fell away from God. And uh, God made a plan. He made a promise with Abraham. Abraham went through, and he got the 12 tribes. And, you know, Moses came, and he said, All right, I'm going to bring my people back. I'm going to rescue them from Egypt. And he sends Moses into Pharaoh. You know the story. He comes out with, they come out through these amazing miracles brought into the desert uh, where the, the pillar leads them uh, by day and by night, the pillar of smoke by day, the pillar of fire by night. God was among them in that moment. And then eventually, God says, hey, build me a tabernacle. Build me a home. Let me rest here and let me live here among you, among my people. Because that's where his heart was. But the people still couldn't draw near. There was only a few people allowed in. But God's presence was in the middle of camp. And as you go through, you see how God kind of... Uh, people fall away and they forget God. And God eventually goes in and He rescues them. He sends in judges. He sends in good kings. He sends in uh, different prophets. He says, hey, don't forget about me. And then eventually, obviously, we have the culmination leading up to Christ, to Jesus. And that is our entrance in to God's presence. And Psalms move along like that. They start off. <clears throat> they start off with. Uh, I really want to find that word I was looking for, and I can't believe I can't remember it. But they start off with these dirges. They start off with dirges, and eventually, and and Jerome. Brother Jerome from uh, way back when, he uh, translated the, Vol the Latin Vulgate. He, he, he referred to Psalm as a big house. Magnus, Magnus Domus, he called it in the Latin. That's what Psalms was. And the first two Psalms are the entrance into the rest of Psalms. And if you know the first psalm, it talks about the difference between the righteous and the unrighteous, the godly and the ungodly. And it kind of introduces you to here's a choice you have to make, a choose your own adventure, if you will. All right? Are you going to side with the righteous who are blessed by the word of God, who take pleasure in the law of the Lord, or are you going to side with the, right, uh, with the ungodly who are like the chap which the wind driveth away? And that determines your journey through the book of Psalms. If you're righteous, keep reading. You're going to have a great time. You're going to uh, enjoy it a little more if you're a righteous person. If, if, you're, if your heart is on the law of God, you're going to enjoy it. If not, you may not want to read anymore. That's kind of where it goes. And then Psalm 2 is another part of the introduction to Psalms. And it, it, that kind of takes us, it introduces us to the idea of the Messiah. It introduces us to the idea of the King of Kings. But I don't think that's where David's heart was when he first started writing it. Why do the heathen, or, and I'm be reading out of the New King James now. Uh, why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. Why do the 
nations rage? Why do the people plot a vain thing? Why do they? Why are the people so intent on this nothingness that exists around them? Why is it that when they see God or godly things, it enrages them to such a point that they can't see beyond it? They plot against God and against His anointed. It's silliness, really. When you think about it, it's really silliness. Uh, Obviously, you're not going to get very far. You can plot and plan and scheme all you want against God's goodwill. I remember... Once when I was a teenager, and this story just came to me, I didn't plan to tell this, but uh, I had, I was part of a church youth group, but I, what, my heart wasn't really, you know, following after God. I just kind of wanted to go and scope out whatever I could scope out. And I was hanging out with this one kid, and we went to this rock concert, this Christian rock concert that was underground in Niagara Falls. They had this underground thing under the Rainbow Mall. Uh, and they have this huge carnival every year, and sometimes they have these concerts. And they had this concert, and the guy that was performing was Rick Kua. Some of you may know Rick Kua. Uh, he was a famous Christian rock artist in the 80s. And so me and my friend are sitting there, and the, the show hadn't started yet. And I said, hey, let's go see if we can mess something up. Let's go. And we actually had these plans to go and sneak backstage and drop things down on the guy while he was singing or something, anything we could get into to kind of make, you know, make it go awry. And that was our plot. That was our plan. That was our scheme. So we go and we find this door that looks like it goes somewhere important. So we open this door and we, it's a stairs and the stairs are going down. So we go down the stairs. The door closes behind us. We go down to the bottom stair and it's locked. The door's locked at the bottom of the stairs. I'm like, ah. So we go back upstairs, we try to open that door, it's locked. We were trapped, and everybody else was in the concert. Nobody knew that we had left the concert. Our youth group leaders didn't know that we had left. So we were trapped in this stairwell for the entirety of the concert. God got us out of the way. He said, all right, boys, have fun inside that stairwell. People are going to be praising God over here. People are going to be coming to, coming to me. I am still. It's, it's vanity to think that we can stop the plans that God has. There's nothing we can do. And if God allows us to do anything adverse to who He is, it's because He planned it that way. There's really no getting out of it. We can plot and we can plan, and sometimes people get away with some terrible, wicked, evil things. But it's only because God has allowed them to go that far. And there's a reason behind it. There's always a reason behind it. And I know people don't want to hear that when they're mourning the death of a loved one or when something bad happens, when they get into an accident or when something else is, 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 is looming in their hearts or in their minds. But it's true. God has something planned, and no matter how much you worry, no matter how much you plot, no matter how much you cry about it, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. There's nothing we can do about it. And I think that is even more frustrating for the nations and for the people who plot these things. He who sits in the heavens, verse 4, shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision, that's an interesting phrase. I often think of when I forget to plug in my computer and I call up the IT guy and he comes over and it's that look he gives you 
It's not plugged in. I think that's the that's the idea almost here. God's like, what are you thinking? What are you thinking? But the difference between God and the IT guy is God has the authority to be able to do those things. Sometimes IT guys can be jerks. The Lord can also be a jerk if you're on the wrong side of Him, but He has every right to be one, right? He has, He's righteous and everything He does is righteous. We don't have that same authority. We can't just look down at people and laugh at their, sometimes we want to and sometimes people are foolish and it makes us laugh. Uh, but when, I often find that when I start laughing at other people, I realize that I've been doing something just as foolish as they have. So there's no reason I should laugh at anybody else. But the Lord has every right to laugh because it's silliness. He's looking at silliness. Here are these creatures that he has created plotting against their creator. It's it's funny. It is a very funny situation for him, uh, but at the same time, it's very sad. And, he, and the derision doesn't just mean, ha ha, I know what you know, you're up to. There's also a sadness in it. There's also kind of a heart behind it that says, come on, come on. Truth is over here. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet have I set my king on my holy hill. Of Zion, he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress him and distress them with his deep displeasure. God is all powerful, but God can't help it. Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying God is helpless, but God can't help be who he is. So when God is confronted with evil or silliness or vanity or any of these things, these terrible things that can come out of us, God's righteousness will always prevail. It's just because it's his righteousness. It's not because uh, he's planning to take us out and, and make us feel uh, you know, like dirt or whatever. It's just his presence is that holy. His presence is holy. He can't have unholiness in the midst of him. He can't have unrighteousness. He's like a force that can't be stopped. And his righteousness is the only force that matters in that situation. And obviously he is well aware of what he's doing. I'm not saying that he isn't. I'm not saying God doesn't have a choice to make and he doesn't have this. Again, like I said, he allows terrible things to happen. But eventually, things happen the way he wants them to. And he has set his king upon the holy hill of Zion. Now when David wrote this, David was king. He had been promised at this point that God... Uh, was to what had anointed him, and that not only him but his son and his son's son and his son's son. God had told him in Second Samuel seven. As I get there. He told him in Second Samuel seven about what was going to happen with his seed.
Verse 8, Now therefore, thus shall you say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people over Israel. And I have been with you wherever you have gone, and have cut off all your enemies from before you, and have made you a great name, like the name of the great men who are on the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, that they may dwell in a place of their own, and move no more." Nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them any more as previously since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel and have caused you to rest from all your enemies. Also the Lord tells you that He will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish His kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will choose him, I will chasten him, sorry, with the rod of men, and with the blows of the sons of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him as I took him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. It seems God sometimes has these false starts, so to speak. He had Saul. I think he kind of had Saul. I think he chose Saul because he wanted to show the nation of Israel and his people and the world at large. This is what happens when you follow after your own heart. This is what happens. Not every start is going to work. It doesn't work until I put my anointing on it. It doesn't work unless there's obedience on the part of the other person. And Saul's heart at first was all for God, but mostly Saul's heart was for Saul. Saul was a king who was above everybody else. He was head and shoulders, it says, in height above other people. He was a kingly looking guy. He was a, a very well and, you know, endowed. He was strong. He was muscular. He was the kind of guy you would want as a king. You would picture as a king. <clears throat> and Israel knew what kings were because they were surrounded by nations that were ruled by kings. And they cried out for a king. And God said, no, you're not going to get a king. The judges should be good enough for you. I want to rule you. I want to be your king. And they said, we want a king. And finally God said, okay, here's Saul. And Saul was great at first. He was a good start. He was a flash in the pan. And then he started doing things his own way. He started, he started uh, kind of ignoring what Samuel said, who was God's mouthpiece. And he started going his own way. And then eventually, uh, because he went so far his own way, he made offerings when he was not supposed to make offerings, that God took away the kingdom from Saul and gave it to David through an anointing process that Samuel went through with David's father. And there is when he was promised, Your, my, uh, my rule shall not fall away from you. So when David's writing this, I believe this is probably what he had in mind. And probably as his sons and his grandsons and his great-grandsons and his great-great-great-grandsons were sitting on the throne and they were being, you know, the whole ceremony was happening with the crown was being put on their head or however it happened. Psalm 2 was probably the psalm that they requested to be read during that time because it's kind of an inauguration psalm. It kind of says, all right, this is a godly psalm. This is God's kingdom being established through you. So David, again, probably wasn't thinking of Jesus. 
at this point. This is probably a psalm he wrote for him. He who sits... Oh, I'm sorry. Um, Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. It's a high point in Israel, Zion. It says, I, above all, when you look up, there is my king. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me. You are my son. Today have I, I have begotten you. This is David speaking. Ask of me and I will give you the nations of your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. This is God's promise to David. I'm going to give you all the nations under you. That's what he promised. You shall break them with the rod of iron. You shall dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. God is speaking, of course, of the destruction that they have caused David, and in return, David will have rule over them. David had a hard road to be king, didn't he? He had Saul, first of all, didn't like him. Saul knew something was up. Saul knew this guy was anointed. Samuel had told him as much. And so Saul's jealousy... Uh, got the best of him, and was, when David, um, David came in to calm him down because the evil spirits were attacking Saul that God sent to him, David would play his harp and calm him down. And one time while he was playing his harp, David or Saul threw a, a, a lance and, and almost struck David, and David got out of there. And eventually David knew, hey, this isn't a safe place for me anymore. i got to go. And so David spent a lot of his early life hiding in caves, and he eventually got a band of uh, brothers together, and they, they kind of went around the countryside, and they had a lot of victories, they had a lot of wars, he even joined the side of the Philistines at one point. Uh, and he was encamped with them, and then he kind of went back over to Israel, and he fought against the Philistines, and on and on and off, on and off. Uh, and then eventually, he's about to be crowned king, but his son, his son rises up and says he wants to be king. And then David's on the run from his son at one point, and we'll be talking about that next week. The Psalm Psalm three is about uh, David's running from Absalom, his son, uh, and so David's life hasn't been easy. He's king, but he's a warrior king, and the reason he's a warrior king is because he has he's had to fight for everything that he has gotten, and God still established him through everything, and he knew that this promise was here. And, he's, and God promises, you shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, a lot of people try to put Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 together. They try to say it was one psalm at one point. That originally the psalms, this is the entrance to psalms. Uh, there's no heading for Psalm 1 or Psalm 2. As you'll notice next week, there are headings that start to pop up in some of the psalms. The ones that don't have headings, the ones that don't have musical direction, some of them say like uh, a psalm of David or the mictum of David or a song of you know David as he was running from Absalom, things like that. Uh, but Psalm 1 and 2 don't have those. The psalms without those are actually called orphan psalms because they don't have headings. And so people thought that Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 were together but in Acts, in Acts four, verses uh, twenty-five, I think four twenty-five. 
Oh, who by the mouth of your servant David. So we know that it's David's psalm because it says, Who by the mouth of your servant David has said, Why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? Uh, and so it's quoting Psalm 2, 1 and 2 in, in 25 and 26 of Acts uh, 4. But then also uh, earlier on uh, in Acts, I believe it's in chapter 2. I'm trying to find out where it is here. Sorry. 13.3 maybe. <laughs> um, but it does talk about, it does say the second psalm of David. It talks about this being the second psalm. And so uh, we know that this is Psalm 2 and that it was made for a certain purpose. And here David is using it for his own purposes as his kingship. And he's probably taking some comfort from this. And rightly so. God is promising these things to David as king. He is promising this. Although this also means that Jesus is coming, and we, we look at it now as Christians, we have, we have a little bit of an advantage over David in this respect, is that we know the end from the beginning. We know Jesus came, right? And we know that the Old Testament and the Psalms and everything else are wrapped up in the person and the body of the coming Messiah. And that coming Messiah has come. And that coming Messiah has died for our sins. And that coming Messiah has been resurrected again. And we know all of these things. And Jesus said, <clears throat> Jesus even said in Luke uh, 24, 44, don't you guys know? Haven't you guys heard? I mean, he is resurrected at this point. It's the end of the book of Luke. And these guys are still flabbergasted about the whole situation. And Jesus said, it says in the law, in the prophets, and in Psalms, what is going to happen? You guys should have known I was coming. And it's one of those situations. It's funny because I think of atheists and I think of these people who rage against God. And these people that deny outright that they, that there is a God, and they try to convince themselves, I think, more than actually know. And I think that when they are face to face with God, it's not going to be, who are you? I don't think that's ever going to happen. I think when somebody is going to be face to face with God at the end of everything and they're being judged, they're going to look at God and go, whoops. They know. People know, we know, it's, it's in our hearts, it's in our minds, it's in, it's in everything. And so Jesus was, that's why Jesus, I think, was so flabbergasted sometimes with his disciples. Don't you know? Haven't you read? Didn't you believe? Like when the Pharisees come against him, what are you guys talking about? You know who I am. And they did. That they knew also he was a threat to their power. Um, and it's also, also said in Psalms that these people in verse, uh, verses uh, 1 and 2, the nations that rage and the people that plot a vain thing. He uh, Paul or, uh, well, Luke, Luke compares them to Pontius Pilate and to the chief Ananias and all these other guys that plotted against Jesus. They're plotting directly against the person of God and they know it. There is a knowing in them that they may not want to admit and there's a knowing in the atheist that they don't want to admit, but I guarantee that they know. And when they see God face to face, it's not going to be who, you know, guess who. It's going to be, I knew. And that's going to be a terrible place to be for them. Verse 10, Now therefore, be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. 
serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Serving the Lord is amazing. It's amazing. But it's humbling. It's humbling because we have to admit first that we're not God. We have to admit first that we don't have all the answers. We have to admit that we're unworthy. You know, we're not the best, perhaps, at what we do. And if it wasn't for God, we wouldn't be able to do anything that we do. We wouldn't be able to speak. We wouldn't be able to see. We wouldn't be able to read, much less do some of these great things that people can do. And I think a lot of people who are deeply talented, and God has put some really, really amazing talents inside of people, and some of them choose to use it for His glory, but most don't. Most go their own way. They get high on their own talents. They get high on these gifts that God has given them. They get a nice voice. They go off. They get a rock and roll career or another singing career. And they just get caught up in the money and the fame. And hey, everybody wants to be my friend. And then eventually they get old and they try to look young. And it gets really, 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 really bad. If you've seen some of these people on tour still who are like 80, 90 years old, they should be home. You know, they should be resting in, in the promises of God. They shouldn't be out trying to look good anymore. They should, you know, have already gone through all that stuff. But it's something in them. There's that pride that builds up in a person who doesn't submit themselves to God. There is fear there, but it's a respectful fear. It's a fear that says, you know more than I do, Lord. I'm taking this step trembling. I'm taking this step trembling because I want to make sure that I'm doing the right thing and I'm in the right place. And only you know where I need to be. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Make sure that when you're rejoicing, you're rejoicing in the right things. You know, we can get high on the blessings that God has given us. God has anointed our family with a lot of blessings recently. But God can take them away like that. And so it's important for us, just like that, right? It's important for us to know that God is the one who is responsible for the coming and the goings that we have. He's responsible for where our foot lands and where it slips. He's responsible uh, for the injuries that we sustain in life and for the healings that we also sustain in life. And even those people in the, in the New Testament who've gotten healed, where are they now? <laughs> How long did their healing last? How long did Lazarus live after he was risen again from the dead? It was amazing, but he's no longer with us, right? These things are temporary. God gives them to us for a short time to show his glory, to show what he can do. And it's, it's best that we learn that early on in our lives um, and continue learning that as we go through. And I know that I've learned that lesson probably at least a hundred times, if not more by now. And I continue to learn it because I continue to get my head wrapped up in who I am sometimes or who I'm not. And that's another, that's the other end of the spectrum. I'm not as good as this person, or I'm not as good as that person. You know, for a long time, I wanted to be as good of a preacher as Chuck Smith or Chuck Swindoll or any of these other guys that preach up there. I know I probably never will be, but I know that God uses my words the way he uses them to the people that he's given me to preach to, which today is you. And God has given me these words, and it may not be the best sermon ever preached, but it's the one God has for you guys. It's the one God has given to me. And we have to be content with what God has done. In fear and in trembling, we have to be content. 
kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled. But a little, this used to confuse me quite a bit. In fact, up till last night. <laughs> I was reading um, a commentary on kissing the son. What does that mean to kiss the son? And I knew there was, a, I knew that it, it meant something about being close to God, right? To kiss the son, you have to be close to God. There has to be a closeness. And I knew that all along. And I always thought, you know, I, I romanticized it a little bit. I really like this verse, kiss the son, lest he be angry. And obviously you're talking about Jesus here, his throne, his, his righteousness. And God does want that closeness with us like he had with Adam in the beginning. But when a king comes in to power and his son takes over the throne... And God, here again, David is thinking, this is about me, right? David is thinking, this is about me. Now, he may have in his head the Messiah in the future, but again, David is like, okay, this is God's anointing to me. This is what God is saying to me. And the proper etiquette to uh, draw close to a king was to kneel down and kiss his ring or kiss his cheek, or kiss something, kiss his feet sometimes. And those were the things that were accepted by these kings. So when it says, kiss the son, lest he be angry and ye perish from the way, um, it's a double meaning, obviously. Yes, kiss the son. Kiss the king. Uh, because you want to be in good graces with the king. If you're not in good graces with the king, better have a good reason not to be in good graces with the king. Because your life is going to be really hard. Uh, and... Obviously, there's no good reason not to be in good graces with God. There's no good reason for it. And that's something we need uh, to get along. And then finally, blessed are all those who put their trust in Him. That answers the question, doesn't it? Why do the heathen rage? Why do the nations rage? Why do the people plot vain things? Because they haven't put their trust in Him. They haven't put their trust in God. They don't have that rock. They are on sandy ground. It's something for us as Christians to realize how fragile we are. If it wasn't for God, where would we be? I don't want to play the what-if game, but I know I probably wouldn't be in a good place if I was even here at all. And I know that most of you guys wouldn't be in as good of a place that you're in right now with as good of a mindset as you have right now with the heart that's full of God's love. I know that. Because God promises it. But it says, blessed are those who put their trust in Him. If we put our trust in Him, we'll have nothing but blessing. We'll have nothing but uh, not good times necessarily, but even like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as they were facing the fire, fiery furnace and the, and the king said, hey, bow down to my God or I'm going to throw you in there. And they said, hey, you know what? God's going to save us from that fiery furnace. But even if he doesn't, we are not going to bow down to another God. That is the attitude God wants from us. That is where our blessings will come from. I think it was Bonhoeffer. Uh, Bonhoeffer had said that uh, he was blessed. He was in a concentration camp in Germany because he refused to play the game uh, that the Germans were playing and he refused to out 
uh, the Jews to the Nazis, and so he was hiding some of them. He got caught doing that. He was trying to help them out, and he eventually got to a concentration camp, and they would send him into the sewers. I know you've probably heard this story before, but he would go into the sewage places, and the Nazis wouldn't follow him, because obviously this is pretty disgusting. He'd be up to here in sewage, or up to here in sewage, but he was able to go out and do whatever he had to do, and while he was out there, he was able to praise God. And they weren't anywhere in earshot. He could go out, he could pray to God, he could praise God, covered in this slime. And he called it his blessing. Corey Ten Boom, same thing. She was in the concentration camps. And she was able to praise God. Her sister died in the concentration camps. But she counted every time that someone came to Christ or came to a deeper knowledge, uh, she praised God eventually for the fleas. Because the fleas were keeping the Nazis away. And while the Nazis were away, they were having Bible study. And it's just amazing the things that if we are, if our minds are in the right place and if we're wrapped up in God, there won't be rage in us. The Psalms, I think, are a mirror for us. They've been called the mirror of the soul. And we look in the mirror, we fix things that are wrong with us. You know, if we want to look good, we make sure that our tr beards are trimmed, uh, our eyebrows are clipped, you know, they're not owly like mine get, uh, and all these other things. And we, you know, we do these things. The Psalms are the same thing. There is not one emotion that you can have that isn't in the Psalms. There's not one. Every single emotion is here. You feel rage, it's in here. You feel anger, it's in here. You feel happiness, it's in here. Sadness, pride, gluttony, whatever you want, whatever is going on in your heart, there is a prayer, there is a song, there is a psalm that addresses that situation. And I think to read it, we would be blessed. It's interesting that the Psalms are split up into five books, just like the Torah. And I think uh, maybe one of the reasons that they had for doing that was to say this is equal to the Torah. This is equal to the law of God. This is equal to Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That was a lot to say to a Jew back in the days of uh, uh, before Christ. Psalms are just as important. Why do the nations rage? Because they don't put their trust in God. So let's put our trust in God. And I want to pray real quick again. Lord, we praise You for who You are and we thank You, Lord, for allowing us into Your kingdom. Allowing us to know Your Son. Allowing us to be subjects to Him, Lord. Help us to serve You in fear and rejoice in trembling, Lord. Allow us, Father God, to draw near to You, to kiss You, and to move along as You move us, and to give ourselves willingly and completely over to You. And thank You, Lord, that there are people around us that don't like us. That means that we are doing something right, Lord. And we praise You, Father God, that You are moving us through this world of rage and hatred, Father God, into a place of loving, kindness, and glory. Thank You for Your blessings. In Your precious name, Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit glbcdt.org.